So I just want to uh, just... I don't think there's any children in the service today, but I didn't want to make mention of the fact is that Stephanie's got done with her first family Sunday school, and uh, we'll have pictures of that next Sunday, but she had like 15 people out there. There were a bunch, and uh, so they were outside right here in the connector, so you're welcome to join them and come out. They're all safe outside. It was really neat to see that. We'll have pictures next week because I got some pictures, and you can see them too. Yeah, I did. So I did. And uh, so thank you, Stephanie, for doing that and for gathering our families together for that. And I just got word from Tom and Carolyn, who are in person here. They're celebrating their 34th and 35th great-grandchild. So there you go. So there you go. Congratulations, guys. So I'm really excited that we continue to focus on this journey of discipleship, this gospel discipleship that... We're asking the question, what kind of disciple are you? And each week we're going to be hearing from, as much as possible, those who uh, resonate with that type. You may be more than one type and all those kind of things, and this is not meant to label you in some negative way, but simply to help us to understand ourselves better and the others around us. Because then I feel like we can use our gifts better when we understand each other and what we bring to the table. If we don't know what that is and don't really understand it fully, then it's really hard to be able to use it. So thank you so much for those of you who have been taking the test and sending them to me. I have a bunch of them, and it's really eye-opening to kind of hear your stories as you're sharing them with me. And today we're going to hear some Markin stories, and there are more uh, books available still over here, uh, over there. But they'll be, over, they'll be, yeah, they'll be right there. They're right there next to the door on the way out. And uh, so if you uh, want to get, get one of those books and be able to uh, follow along with us and do this each week, we'd be glad to have you do that. So we're going to hear from the Markins today about what it means to be a Mark and catching on fire. And so I think you're going to appreciate everything that's going on today. And one of our first Markins is Shelly McBurney, and she is going to uh, bring us a word of prayer and send us this morning. Good morning. So... I am equal parts Mark and Luke, and we'll learn about Luke later. But Pastor asked that the Markins on staff and myself as your lay leader bring the message because he's not a Mark. And I think you can better understand what a Mark is if you hear directly from us. So let us pray, please. Holy Spirit, we welcome you. Holy Spirit, we know that you are the counselor of truth, our help in need, and the one who fills us with the Spirit of God. Holy Spirit, we pray this very day to come into greater communion with you. You are so graciously working to intercede for us to the Father, but also to comfort us with your peace that goes beyond all understanding. Holy Spirit, please come. Holy Spirit, today we ask for godly counsel and direction, as it says in Psalm 37, 4, to delight ourselves in the Lord, so we boldly seek to do so today. Following the will and the heart of the Father is our greatest desire, for we know his plans are the best for us, and in the end glorify the kingdom. Holy Spirit, please lead us by your wisdom, discernment, and kindness throughout our lives. Holy Spirit, we praise and thank you for the love lavished upon us. Holy Spirit, we seek and so earnestly crave to be in your presence, to feel the inner works of you in our own hearts and minds. You so graciously give comfort, truth, and love. 
Holy Spirit, we welcome you this very day. And dear Lord, I ask you to fill Davis and Jennifer with your words that we may be filled and guide them as they bring us the message this morning. And in Jesus' very, very precious name and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, Shelley. Well, good morning, church. It's good to see you all here and to have everyone joining us online. Uh, I don't get this opportunity too often, so I've taken a bit of prerogative this morning to, to wear a certain mask, which I wear all the time, but very, very seldom do I actually get to wear it in front of a public audience like this. So uh, thankful that there's actually some joy of SEC football taking place right now. And, uh, and my team won, so that's always a good thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. So this morning, I want to introduce you all to Mark and discipleship. And uh, Markins are gifted and recognize that anyone who seeks to follow Jesus is also gifted, and that together we do transformative work. Markins are given power by the Holy Spirit. And so over this next coming week. Uh, starting tomorrow through the end of the week, um, there's four discipleship pathways that Markins take, actually for each discipleship type there is, but they're a little different in how we get there. And so there will be devotionals that will come out each day this week, uh, and they will come either from me or from Jennifer, maybe from Pastor Jeremy, uh, that you will see. So just be on the lookout for those, but it's devotions about each one of these areas of spiritual formation, service, witness, and worship with emails. And so look forward to uh, being able to complete all those and, and send those out this week. It's uh, something a little bit out of my wheelhouse, but I'm looking forward to it. So, so let's pray. Heavenly Father, Father, I come to you this morning and ask that the words from my mouth and the meditations of my heart be your words, the words that you have given me for this congregation and for your people to hear. So, Lord, we ask that you bless this time that we are here. We call you, Holy Spirit, to be in our presence, to reveal yourself to us. In Christ's name, amen. So I kind of want to start at an odd beginning. Much like last week, we learned that for each one of these disciple types, you have to start at the end. We're going to start at the end of Markin. Markin's in spiritual crisis. And so... One of the first things you should know about a marking and spiritual crisis is how difficult it is for us. And I say us because, like Shelly, I, I did test on this test as marking, but also, like Shelly, I tested is equally Luke, one of my two disciple types most closely related to. But you must know that for markings especially, how difficult it can be at times to feel God's presence. And we also know God can feel very distant at times, sometimes for very long stretches of time. Those with marking tendencies may panic when they don't feel the Spirit, or if they feel the Spirit has left the church, 
Well, they may just fight like the devil to right the church. Or they may just leave altogether. Markins will not tolerate someone trying to use the Holy Spirit to abuse or mistreat others. That is, to us, as unforgivable as Jesus said, blaspheming the Holy Spirit was to God. But one thing for sure, Markins are about the stuff. As I read the New Testament, I fell in love with Jesus. Didn't you? I liked him. I liked what he was like. I liked the things he did. I liked the things he said. Didn't you like those things? I thought that stuff was hot. I liked it when he multiplied the bread. You like that one? Huh? How about it? You like that? And the fishes? You know, the sardines? I always picture sardines. I like that stuff. I like all that stuff, you know? I liked it when he went by the fig tree and said, mm. you know? <laughs> and it died. Can you picture him doing that? I like all that stuff. I like it. I remember last night, come forth. That's a biggie, you know? I mean, that's hot. There's not many guys doing that come forth thing. You know, telling anybody to come up from the dead. I liked all that stuff. And when I became a Christian, I thought that's what I was going to do. I spent several weeks reading the New Testament and talking with these people, and I thought, this is great. You know, I'm going to join up. I want to do this stuff. And so I remember the frustration of attending church the first few times. You know what I thought they did at church? I thought you, that people gathered at the church had a good time together, sort of divvied up the land, and everybody went out and healed a few, cast out a few demons, and won a few people to Christ before lunch. And so, the first few times I went to church, I went prepared with the idea that we're going to, you know, ha, I'm going to take Anaheim. I want to go to Anaheim. You know, the deepest, darkest pagan Anaheim. Over there by Disneyland. That's where I want to go. Because that's where I was raised. And when they didn't do it, I was disappointed. And I remember one day asking a guy about it. I said, well, when do we go out and do it? He said, what? I said, when do we go out and do it? He says, oh, you don't have to do it. You just have to believe it was done once. Now, that's pathetic. Isn't it? I found out over the next year or two that we cried about it. We sang about it. We preached about it. We prayed over it. We gave to it, but we never did it. We never got to go do the things that Jesus did. And I grew disillusioned in the process. Now, you know, when I worked for the devil, he let me do his stuff. Did he let you do his stuff? He let me do his stuff. But when I came to work for Jesus... They didn't want to let me do his stuff. And I, to tell you the truth, I joined up to do the stuff. Did you? You see, it's doing the stuff that's going to change the world. It's not knowing it was done once. It's not knowing that it's important. It's doing it that's going to change the world. Somewhere, someplace, somebody's got to start believing this book. And acting on it. And I figure it might as well be us. 
We're qualified. And we understand that it can be done. It's one of my favorite videos. I know we've shown it here a few times over the years, but it's just a, a healthy reminder of what we should be doing into this world. So Mark's gospel is really no nonsense. There's not a lot of filler in it. As the old saying goes, it's just the facts, ma'am. And while I do have marking traits, like I spoke to before, I also like the backstories and fillers that the other gospels tell. They bring more relationship into the stories, the people parts. But understand that no other gospel deals with the miraculous like Mark. Now, that's also to be said that individual experiences will differ, but most Markins will relate to at least some or each of the Markin traits. In the Gospel Discipleship Guide, we find four distinct characteristics of Mark's Gospel. Number one, we see Jesus unhinged, or should we say not as polished as in the other Gospels. For instance, in Mark 11, we find the story of Jesus and the fig tree. Now, this is a common story we hear in Matthew and Luke as well. Jesus is hungry, and he curses the fig tree for not having any fruit. But in Mark, well, let's read this. On the following day, when they came from Bethany, he was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to see whether perhaps he would find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves. Now, get this. For it was not the season of figs. Now, what you understand, Matthew and Luke say nothing about it not being the season of figs. So, it not being the season of figs, it's very understandable that Jesus should not even expect figs to be on there. It's just not the season for it. But instead, he looked at it and he said, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. A very human relational part of Jesus that we see. He was hungry, and the tree of his creation had nothing for him. And then we see what we call, the author calls sandwich stories, because immediately we move from that, and they're going into Jerusalem. And he entered the temple and began to drive out those who were selling and those who were buying in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. He was teaching and saying, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations? But you have made it a den of robbers. And when the chief priests and the scribes heard it, they kept looking for a way to kill him. For they were afraid of him because the whole crowd was spellbound by his teachings. And when the evening came, Jesus and his disciples went out of the city. And immediately, the next morning, as they passed by, they see the fig tree withered away at its roots. Then Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. And Jesus answered them, Have faith in God. Truly, I tell you, if you say to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, and if you do not doubt in your heart, but believe that what you say will come to pass, it will be done for you. 
So I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, hear that, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. Jesus took this opportunity as they passed by this fig tree that he had cursed. And after cleansing the temple, to give a lesson in faith and prayer. Whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, so that your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. Anything done in prayer and pray in, in prayer and faith can be accomplished. Next trait is power and authority. And throughout Mark, we see Jesus driving out demons. In 3, verse 21, we find his family trying to stop him, saying that he is out of his mind. That is not recorded anywhere else in the Gospels. Some teachers of the law were there. They had come down from Jerusalem. They said, he is controlled by Beelzebub. He is driving out demons by the prince of demons. So Jesus called them over and spoke to them by using stories. He said, how can Satan drive out Satan? If a kingdom fights against itself, it cannot stand. If a family is divided, it cannot stand. And if Satan fights against himself and his helpers are divided, he can't stand. This is the end of him. In fact, none of you can enter a strong man's house and just take what the man owns. You must first tie him up, then you can rob his house. What I'm about to tell you is true. Remember, this is the words of Jesus. Everyone's sins and evil words against God will be forgiven. But those who speak evil things against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. Their guilt will last forever. Jesus said this because the teachers of the law were saying he has an evil spirit. Jesus' mother and brothers came and stood outside. They sent someone in to get him. And a crowd was sitting around Jesus. They told him, your mother and your brothers are outside. They are looking for you. Who is my mother? Who is my brother? Who are my brothers, he asked. Then Jesus looked at the people sitting in a circle around him. He said, here is my mother. Here are my brothers. Anyone who does what God wants is my brother or sister or mother. See, Mark focuses more on the miraculous than Jesus' teachings. And we go on and we have another sandwich story as well, but we start in Mark 5, 22. A man named Jairus came, and he was a synagogue ruler. Seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet. He begged Jesus, please come, my little daughter is dying. Place your hand over her to heal her, then she will live. So he went with him. And a large crowd followed him and pressed in on him. Now, here's the sandwich story. So we have Jesus. He's going to the home to see the daughter. In the midst, there was a woman who had been suffering from hemorrhaging for 12 years. She had endured much under many physicians and had spent all that she had. And she was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. For she said, if I but touch his clothes, I will be made well. Faith. Immediately her hemorrhage stopped and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. 
immediately aware that power had gone from him, Jesus turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? And his disciples said to him, Really? In this crowd? How can you say, Who touched me? But he knew the power had been left, had gone from him. And so Jesus looked all around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling, fell down before him, and told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. And then we're immediately back to the beginning of our story. While he was still speaking, some people came from the leader's house to say, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the leader of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. He allowed no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the house of the leader of the synagogue, he saw a commotion. People were weeping and wailing louder, loudly. But when he entered, he said to them, Why do you make such a commotion and weep? Can you imagine Jesus is walking in and you're in the midst of mourning and looking at you and saying, Why? Why, why do you make this commotion? The child is not dead but is only sleeping. And they laughed at him. They laughed at the person we know as King of Kings. Then he put them all outside and he took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the girl laid. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha, come, which means little girl, get up. And immediately the girl got up and began to walk about. She was 12 years of age and they were overcome with amazement. See, Jesus also builds a mystery. Many times we see Jesus tell people not to tell what he's done for them. Mark 1, verse 40, we see a leper coming to him begging to be healed, saying, if you choose, if you choose Jesus, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said, I do choose to be made clean. But then he said, as soon as the leprosy had left him and he was made clean, Jesus warned him and sent him away at once, saying to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded as a testimony to them. But he went out. And of course, I, I really don't know of anyone that, in the Bible stories that never went out. And it would be hard to hold it back. But he went out and began to proclaim it freely and to spread the word so that Jesus could no longer openly go into town. But he stayed out in the country and people came to him from every quarter. And then we see this story. He asked the disciples, but who do you say I am? And Peter answered him, you are the Messiah. And he sternly ordered them not to tell anyone. There's sometimes very good reasons why Jesus would say not to. But as we go forward, we also see in Mark 1, again, that there was a man in the synagogue with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? How have you come to destroy us? I know you are the one, the Holy One of God. 
But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsing him and crying with a loud voice came out of him. They were all amazed, and they kept on asking one another, What is this? Is this a new teaching? And with authority, he commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. At once his frame began to spread, at once his fame began to spread throughout the surrounding regions of Galilee. And so in this story, we see Jesus moving on. As he was getting in the boat, the man who had been possessed by demons begged him that he might be with him. But Jesus refused and said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and what mercy he has shown you. As he went away, he became, began to proclaim how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone was amazed. See, Jesus, and especially as Markins, we understand that context is everything. It's very important. We see Jesus early on telling people not to let them know he was there, not to tell of his things. Very good reasons at times, because it would build crowds that may impede the other things he had in mind to do. But in this last story, we also see him leaving an area and instructing to go spread the message because he was not going to be there to personally give it. Mark and disciples realize that what the Holy Spirit does in one place may never happen again. And Mark and adapt as the Spirit moves. So much so this immediately. Mark's gospel is actually shorter than any of the other, but it quickly hops from one moment to the next without taking a breath. The Greek word for immediately appears 70 times in the New Testament. Forty of those times are in the gospel of Mark. Mark and disciples who respond to the Spirit are people who move at the whim of the Spirit. It's not saying that we avoid preparation in prayer and study and discernment. But Markins are waiting for the Spirit to, sp- uh, to waiting to spring into action when the Spirit says move. So what makes up a Markin? They are highly creative. Markins are Holy Spirit disciples. Sometimes artists, poets, musicians, many of those are in this group. Markins think up things that God's people can do that no one else would. Markins will push boundaries sometimes even resenting boundaries, can be considered contrary. I don't know about me, but... But, Markins will reject the well-known mantra of we do it this way because we always have. Markins are wildly inclusive. And this morning in first service, we actually were able to hear a testimony from Brittany May, our little AMS director. And in that testimony, she was able to share that through her life uh, and at the end of his life, by her being inclusive of her father, he was able to come to Christ and they were able to have a relationship at the end of his life. Markins are passionate about making space for everyone. They may not be the best of nurturing those gifts, and I'm 
actually not the very best at nurturing one-on-one those gifts. But I believe everyone has a space at the table. And I believe that there is space for everyone to find the gifts that God has given you and to use them for the greater good. Because the fact is, in the church, in the world, in those pieces being included, the individual standing right in front of me might be the missing piece. You might be the missing piece that we really need to catch fire. Short attention spans. (laughs) A misnomer as such because... If the spirit is pushing in a particular direction, markings can be known to have very long attention spans. But the the phrase spiritual ADD has been coined to explain markings because if the spirit has moved, it's also time for them to move. So markings feel the presence of God and are always open to the miraculous. Many markings can describe at least one dramatic encounter with God Mark can see the power of God in all things from silence and the everyday to the chaos of life we live. Our prayers are not so much petitions as they are a posture of inviting God to show up. We know God is active in this world and fully, fully believe that God can change the world. We see God's supernatural work in the everyday and in the extraordinary. Let's look at the extra ending of Mark starting in Mark 16, verse 15. He said to them, this is Jesus, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Whoever believes it and baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will drive out demons, they will speak in new tongues, they will pick up snakes with their hands, and when they drink deadly poison it will not hurt them at all. They will place their hands on sick people and they will get well. After the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, he was taken up into heaven and he sat at the right hand of God. Then the disciples went out and preached everywhere and the Lord worked with them and confirmed his word by the signs that accomplished it. Now understand, I am not a snake handler. Honestly, because I really despise the critters, and I believe they believe they belong under my heel more than anywhere else, as other scriptures told us. But I also believe that if God says it is so, then it can be done by faith. Markins get frustrated when we, the church, try to keep God in a box. Because without a doubt, if we, the church, would open that box and truly share without worrying about what people will think. This world, our nation, this community would be so much better because Markins lastly love Missy. Because when the box opens up, when people take off their mask and become authentic, and I'm not talking about these things we have to wear right now, but I'm talking about our real mask that keeps us hidden from everyone. But when people will take off their mask and become authentic with each other, that is when real healing begins. 
As Revelation 12:11 states, we shall overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the power of our testimony, even if it means to give up everything we call life to truly live in Christ. We love messy because it creates opportunity to know God in a new way. And so how do we do this? And I want to invite Miss Jennifer Pete, our youth minister, our new youth minister up here. She is, uh, we're so blessed to have you and the family with us and just say a prayer here. Father, as we, as we continue on, Lord, we just ask that uh, the words continue to be the words of you. Uh, we pray over Jennifer and the message she's bringing. Lord, that your spirit will flow from her into this place. In Christ's name, amen. So I was in the eighth grade when I first experienced the power of the Holy Spirit, meaning I really knew it was the Holy Spirit. I had received so much joy and peace as he filled me to overflowing. I truly felt immersed, baptized in the Holy Spirit. That moment then began a journey to really learn more and to follow more of what the Holy Spirit was going to do in and through me. I've had many experiences in the Holy Spirit as I continue to grow, grow up through high school and college. And even today, I still continue to experience his power in new and fresh ways. I think this is why my heart is for all generations, but more specifically the next generation of children, youth, and young adults to experience the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You see, I did not receive a small Holy Spirit because there's no junior Holy Spirit. We can receive all of the Holy Spirit as he is the same for all generations. When we receive Christ as our Savior, we receive the Holy Spirit. Because we were created to be the temple of the Holy Spirit, he becomes a resident but he doesn't really get to come into everything in our lives. So it's our choice to allow him to come in. So I submit to you that there is so much more. You see, we can all be baptized, immersed, filled to overflowing with the Holy Spirit. He then becomes president in our lives. He goes into the deep, dark places of our closets. He goes into the nooks and crannies of our couches where the M&Ms and the lost change is. He goes into the deep, dark basement. He is everywhere. And he goes to those places to clean up that stuff so that we may be, may be made whole. All he asks is deep surrender, surrender of everything, of control, of fear, of the past, everything. We do this by putting 100% trust in him, learning to wait when he says wait, and learning to go when he says go. 
So bear with me for a moment as we talk about why the Holy Spirit is so important to us, no matter what disciple personality we are. And why the disciples were able to go into all of the world to preach the gospel, to baptize all who were saved, operating in signs, wonders, and miracles. Why then God the Father promised the Holy Spirit to us. You see, the disciples were able to go out and do all these things in the power of the Holy Spirit because first they had a good teacher in Jesus. In Mark 1, we find that just after Jesus was baptized in the Jordan River, the Holy Spirit ascended upon him like a dove. And the Father said that Jesus was his Son, in whom he was well pleased. So Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit as he was teaching and operating in the miracles that he was doing. So they were just doing what Jesus was doing. And Jesus says in John 5.19 how he, well, the Son of God, was doing what the Father does. So the disciples had a great example in Jesus. Second, Jesus had to go in order for the Holy Spirit to come and empower us all. John 16.7 says that Jesus had to go so, he, so that the Advocate the Holy Spirit would come. Third, Jesus did say that those who are in him will do what he does, but even greater works than he did. John 14, 12 talks about that. Fourth, when the Holy Spirit did come, Jesus had, had just promised to the disciples in Acts 1-8 that power will come upon them when the Holy Spirit came on them. Then he left, and then after some time of waiting, we move into Acts 2, and when the Holy Spirit came as a mighty wind and a, a pillar of fire, and they began to speak in other tongues, and that was the Holy Spirit coming on them, Fulfilling the prophecy in Joel 2. That is what we call Pentecost. Fifth, then, Paul says in Romans 8 that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us. So when the Holy Spirit fell on the disciples on that day, they had resurrection power in them, hence the ability to be able to operate operate in signs, wonders, and miracles in the name of Jesus. Excuse me. So then how does this make me a Markin disciple in my daily life? Well, after I had received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I began attending this conference called the Aldersgate Conference. The main aspects of this conference are deep worship, challenging teaching, and life-changing prayer ministry. It was at this first Aldersgate conference that I saw something in worship that I had never seen before. They had expressed their worship not just through song and raising of hands, but through dance and flags and tambourines and later with banners. At that time, much of it was sign language. I was drawn to that expression as it seemed to be more than just lifting your hands in worship. In fact, it was outside of the boundaries of just doing that. 
I was then able to have the privilege of dance, serving on that dance team for 10 conferences. Also, I've had an opportunity to serve on other worship teams um, as a singer and also in a worship choir. I cannot draw a stick figure to save my life. But I feel I'm able to be highly creative through worship. For me, the pre- feeling the presence of God is so incredibly important. I'm a visual learner, which simply means I just need to see it in order to get it. So I need to feel God's tangible presence. There are so many times that I just sit and I know that the Lord is near. I even ask him, Jesus, where are you? And he has shown me that I'm either resting in his arms or I'm face to face with him. I feel this the most when I'm having times of prayer and intercession, either at my office at home or at, at the Aldersgate office during work time. I also notice that I don't feel his presence sometimes. And that's usually when I'm in control or I'm not in his word or I'm not being obedient to what he has called me to do. It's not that he went away because the word of God promises that he does not leave. It's because I went away to do my own thing. This is why surrender is so incredibly important so that we can always be in his presence. I have learned in my many years of being continuously filled in the Holy Spirit that I can't carry that same resurrection power that raised Jesus from the dead. That I can, too, walk in the miraculous with signs, wonders, and miracles. While I have personally never seen someone raised from the dead, I have prayed... I have seen migraines healed, ears open up from being deaf, seen pain go, marriages restored, healing from depression and addiction. Much of this is simply because I humbly prayed in the name of Jesus. Some of these things that I saw were a miracle. They were immediate. They happened right away. And some were a journey of healing. Regardless of how it happens, I want to remain open to the miraculous. And my prayer is that when you are continuously filled with the Holy Spirit, you too will be open to anything he wants to do in and through you. I have been someone who has tried to control and keep things in a box. Last week during the Operation Christmas Child Boxing, I was trying with all my might to put everything in the box so I could close it. I was mostly successful. But that's not how I've experienced the Holy Spirit. In fact, he has blown up the box. And you know what? It got really messy. There were some tears. There was frustration. There was anger all because I was out of control. I was out of control. Yet when I surrendered to the Holy Spirit, sitting in His presence, going deep into His Word, the messy became beautiful. 
The messy came together and was life-changing. It was different. It was outside of the box, but it was beautiful. So how can you, either a Markin disciple or any disciple, experience the Holy Spirit? How can you be empowered to live how you were created to be? How can you live in the identity God has created for you, your own unique identity that he created when he knit you together in your mother's womb? Well, first, I want to encourage you to make Jesus your Savior and Lord. Because of his shed blood on the cross, being the ultimate sacrifice of sin, we now have access to this free gift of salvation from our sins to repent, which simply means to turn our back and turn away from the things we were doing to follow after him, to receive his forgiveness, and be given life everlasting to be adopted into the family of God. Remember I said that when Christ comes into our lives as Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit comes to be resident in your life. And again, I submit to you, there is so much more. I encourage you to be filled to overflowing with the Holy Spirit so that He may be president in your life. He'll journey with you as you learn how to live a life in the Holy Spirit, in a life that brings you out of messy into beautiful, a life outside of the box where you surrender and go, where he says go and wait when he says wait, a life that brings you wholeness, living a holy life, becoming more like Jesus every day. So I want to ask you a question as we close today that I want you to answer for yourself in your own heart. How is it with your soul? And then seek out Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Surrender to him so that he can become president in your life. Let us pray. So, Holy Spirit, we thank you for your presence being here, and we thank you that you will continue to bring your presence in our lives. I pray that as we surrender to you, that as we open up and allow you to become president in our lives, that you will take all of the messy and make it beautiful. I pray that we would surrender and we would repent and turn from our ways that are not pleasing to you. Receive your forgiveness and walk step step by step with you as you hold our hands. Jesus, we thank you for being here. We honor you and we praise you. In the name of Jesus, amen. Would you receive this invitation of Jesus today? I raise my eyes towards the mountains. Where will my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. God won't let your foot slip. Your protector won't fall asleep on the job. No, Israel's protector never sleeps or rests. The Lord is your protector. The Lord is your shade right beside you. The sun won't strike you during the day. Neither will the moon at night. 
The Lord will protect you from all evil. God will protect your very life. The Lord will protect you on your journeys, whether going or coming, from now until forever. Then the Lord commissions... Uh, I think that's it. Actually. Yep, that's it. Awesome. Sorry. <laughs> Got my pages messed up. Would you stand with me as we close our service today with Pasadon? service this morning, I had been back and forth overnight last night with no intention of telling this story. Then we sang a song in first service, Jesus, Friend of Sinners, by Casting Crowns. And there's a line in that song that says, at the end of my pointing finger, our pointing fingers, and I found myself the one pointing the finger. And then I looked up during the sermon and I was going to share it and it was 10 o'clock and I said, oh, I can't share it. 
we've got to get ready for next service, and Jennifer's still got to speak. Because I do have the record for the longest sermon in modern history at Good Shepherd. But the Spirit kept speaking to me. And so I came up and shared this as part of the benediction. And this is a story from last night of all times. I was on the way home. Stopped at Kroger to pick up dinner. In our house, we uh, it's a treat for us, but we love grilled, fresh grilled salmon. And I went by the fresh meat counter, seafood counter, and there it was, five ninety nine a pound. It's never five ninety nine a pound. And so I'm like, yep, that's coming home. That's what we're having for dinner. I'm getting a big slab. Got to feed mom, dad, Harold, Debbie, and I. And so uh, I uh, I waited. I looked for a buzzer because if you're like me, I'm, I'm old enough to remember when every meat counter used to have a buzzer to call the guy in the back. Didn't see a buzzer. So I went across the store to ask him to call somebody. And I went back and I had my mask on and was just standing there patiently waiting. Well, there comes this young man out of the back and you can tell he is just having a rough day. Doors are slamming. Things are almost, it sounds like they're being thrown. And he comes out and he kind of looks at me. And he couldn't, you know, he can't see facial expressions. And I'm like, hello. I wasn't in necessarily a bad mood at the moment. And uh, I asked him, I said, is there not a buzzer? So, you know, you can press. And his response to me, well, I think that would be, be inhumane. And I said, well, no, I mean, it's just customer service. And we kind of went back and forth a little bit. And he said something about being there. And, you know, I was in the back trying to stop and he said something else and I finally stretched out that arm not figuratively but I stretched out that arm and at the end of my pointing finger I looked at him and I said it's obvious you know nothing about customer service and I stomped away and I went to the other meat counter and I picked up a pack of pork chops and I went to the register and I left well I got home waiting on Debbie to get home had a little bit of time before I had to start dinner and it kept weighing on me. It's hard to tell testimonies because you make yourself vulnerable. Because the man I was in that moment of being rude to that young man was a man that used to be around quite a bit, especially in my younger days. I wanted it then, I wanted it now, and I wanted it to be, to be done the way I wanted it. But it kept weighing on me. And I looked at Harold, and Debbie wasn't home yet, and I said, well, I'm going back to the store. I've got to pick up something. Just tell Debbie I'll be back, and I'll be right back. So I go and get in the car, and I drive back to Kroger. And I get out, and as I'm walking in, the young man's going back from the meat counter, and he's going back behind the doors. And so I stand there for a few minutes. And then he finally sees me, and he comes out, and of course I put my mask on because I knew he would recognize me with a mask, right? And he comes out and he kind of stands in front of me almost like, what do you want? And I looked at him and I said, I'm here to apologize. And he kind of looked at me funny. I said, no, I'm, I'm here to apologize. I was rude earlier and I did not intend to be, and I'm sorry for that. And he said, well, no, you just can't worry about stuff like that. It just happens. No, I said, no, no, you don't understand. I, I need to apologize. And then the words that came out of my mouth I never expected 
but I know it was why God sent me back there. Was I looked at this young man and I said, no, you don't understand. I call myself Christian. And I was not representative of my Lord and Savior when I was rude to you. And he looked at me and he talked about he was the only one there that day in the meat department. And he'd been busy. And he was sorry. From the time that I had left, he had filled up the ground beef and it was all gone by the time I got back. And he was going nuts trying to take care of people. And he apologized and we talked for a few minutes. And then I bought my fish and I told him, God bless you. So that's why there's a fresh pack of pork chops in my refrigerator. But to understand this, folks, if we don't listen to the Holy Spirit, that voice, that conscience that God has put inside of us, the gospel will never get told. I will tell you, all I could see was his eyes, but he was definitely shocked when I told him I was a Christian and that I was there because I was not representative. And he was even more shocked when I said, God bless you. I don't know his story, but if it's the beginning of a journey for him, I pray it is. So receive this. Lord our God, there is much in, our, in us that obscures your word and keeps us from being truly your church. Lord, we pray today, call us, as once you called Mark, to speak and live your word, inspire through your spirit, and teach us to live in the hope that your kingdom will come and remain among us through Jesus Christ, our Lord, now and forever. Go forth, proclaim the Spirit, proclaim Christ's love for all. Amen. Amen.